You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, it is Thursday, December 16th, and you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. My name is Blair Angulo. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've made it. It's the second day now of the early signing period. And although there are still some moving parts to be settled later on this week, we've been able now, I think over the last 24 hours, to really come to terms with who might have won, who might have lost on the early signing period day, that first Wednesday. And I've got national recruiting editor Brandon Huffman on the line here to help us break down the winners and losers. And and Brandon, first of all, I want to declare you a winner because it was a tradition unlike any other for you as you woke up and and we do so on the West Coast really early. It's super dark still by the time we're up on on that signing day. But you went out and and you pulled off the double vent. You were double fisting, my friend. You better believe it, man. 48 ounces of pure caffeinated delight to get my day started and to get my heart racing. And literally, it started racing. I used to do that a few years ago where I I think I was probably the first car to pull into the drive-thru at the local coffee shop. And I I kind of started to back away from that because exactly that. I I feel like I was amping myself up way too much early on. And so now I think I just, I go downstairs, I make myself uh, kind of a smaller cup of coffee, and then I go back down later on when I need it. But I I admire the the fact that you look ahead to that second cup. You know, I, I think that's super crucial to just understand. All right, these twenty four ounces are not going to get it done. I need I need the next one as well. Dude, it is absolutely the most important cup of the day, the second cup, because the first cup you're going to have no matter what. You're always going to have a cup of coffee every day. It's that second one when your body is just ready to start getting going, but it's now actually four hours into your day that you let that caffeine and sugar hit the bloodstream. And all of a sudden you're ramped up and you're ready to roll. And since signing day starts early, I mean, shoot, last night I was tweeting about signing day started because it already started in Australia. We don't get the benefit of it being seven o'clock local time on the West Coast. No, we get it at four in the morning. So double caffeine, have to do double caffeine again today, the, the day after, because... I'm dragging. But you know what? As the great Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross once said, coffee is for closers. And I think we close. It is for closers. It is it is for closers. That that's how recruiting staffers are able to get the job done as well. So shout out to them and, and their tireless work. And I know it's always it always seems like a mad dash towards the early signing period. Uh, but don't forget about the eleven other months where a lot of these staff members, the recruiting uh, people in the offices, the player personnel staffers, those guys uh, pulling a lot of the the heavy load uh, throughout the the year. So shout out to those guys. And I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast and you're a college football fan, um, I think you understand that uh, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that make things work. But we're here to discuss some of the winners and losers from the first day of the early signing period. And what better way to start it off than, than with a big win not only by Jackson State, but also by Deion Sanders, by HBCUs, and by the one and only Travis Hunter. 
we could even say this is a win for recruits in general because conventional wisdom was gone against here. Travis Hunter, in 19 years of covering recruiting classes, I had thought that, I said this yesterday on our emergency podcast, Shaq Thompson to Cal, you talked about from Cal to Washington. I said D'Anthony Thomas from USC to Oregon. Neither of those were even in the same stratosphere as Travis Hunter decommitting from Florida State, where he'd been committed for 21 months to Jackson State. To go from a team that's won a national championship in the last decade to a HBCU in the FCS is unheard of. And if it's to be the number one player is unheard of. But kudos to Travis Hunter. You do it, man. Go against the norm. Deion Sanders, nice strike across the bow if you're alma mater. Mike Norvell, don't drink coffee. Maybe drink something else that's a little stronger to drown those sorrows. But what a way to start Wednesday. And I think we're going to be talking about that decision, Blair, for years to come. Yeah, and if he is drinking coffee, I would advise you, you spike it a, l- a little bit, right? With, like you mentioned, something a little bit stronger. And, and that brings us to our first loser. And, and I'm not sure how much we can really blame Florida State or Coach Norvell or anyone else on that staff. I mean, they, they had this commitment for such a long time. And, and it seems like the opportunities from a name, image, and likeness standpoint certainly played a, a big role here for the number one prospect in the country, the, the five-star player from Sewanee, Georgia. And I think if you're Florida State and maybe if you're a fan of the Seminoles, you wonder, okay, then, you know, why wasn't our name, image, and likeness deal similar to to what Jackson State was being able to kind of offer Travis Hunter? I I think that's the, the most significant aspect of it is that if there is NIL, that's a part of it then, you know, it's one of those where there was nothing that Mike Gravel could have done, that Florida State could have done, that a lot of other schools couldn't do. But I also think this is going to be something that maybe ups the ante in ensuing recruiting classes in ensuing years that NIL, I mean, think about it, Blair, NIL got introduced in July with the lack of official visits in 2000 and the 21 recruiting cycle. And then the spring evaluation or the spring evaluation period getting canceled again this year, and then no official visits until June. When we started hearing about NIL presentations in June on the official visit circuit, it was obviously leading up to the July release. But we heard more about NIL during the season as schools were able to institute their program. Now, forget what the facilities look like. Forget what the uniforms look like. Forget the amenities that the the school might present. If you don't have a good NIL plan, you're going to have a hard time getting elite recruits. And in this case, you can even have a good NIL plan, but it might be trumped by something bigger and better. And whatever it is, Florida State is licking their wounds today. I mean, they got two pretty good players as a result, but to lose the number one player, I, I think they could have handled it if they lost in the Georgia where he's from. Georgia's been a top team most of the year. But to lose in the Jackson State, to lose in the Deion Sanders, you know, it, it, it's a tough day for Florida State, a tough day for Mike Norvell. Like you said, not much they could do about it, but it happened. I feel like this could have happened to Georgia or to Bama or whoever else. And it has to serve as a as a warning shot, right? To some of these premier programs that might have the number one rated prospect committed to them for such a long time. And you you can never be sure. And, and you can never be completely confident that that prospect is going to fall through. If there are some of these name, image, and likeness clouds hanging over a certain recruitment, that at the end of the day, when it's time to actually put pen to paper, uh, things could get a little dicey there. 
And it is, I think, going to serve as a warning shot to don't be surprised if some of these other schools start to draw up similar name, image, and likeness deals. I know it's a little specific with Deion Sanders and kind of the partnerships that he has. And obviously, I don't know if if, if conventional Power Five football programs are able to pull that same that that pull that pull that same string, right? But I, I do feel like there's going to be a chance there for some of these programs to not let this happen to them. And unfortunately for Florida State, it, it's kind of, you know, it's come to, I guess, in, 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 maybe in, in kind of their own example and and maybe in their own experience, um, you know, they, they learned the lesson the hard way in a way. Let's move on to some other winners from the first day of the early signing period. I mean, we, we can discuss the the top three right now in the SEC. In terms of recruiting, that would be Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia. They all had amazing Wednesdays. Yeah, I think the most fascinating part out of all of it is that Texas A&M, as we, at the end of the day, had the best class. I mean, we're used to seeing Alabama and Georgia up there. You know, Texas A&M has had top 10 classes in years past under Kevin Sumlin, under Jimbo Fisher, but to see what they did on signing day to close, to be able to land Anthony Lucas, to be able to land in I White, to go along with, you know, getting Cam Dewberry while also holding on to Walter Nolan. I mean, we we all know that defensive linemen are a premium. It's hard to get elite defensive linemen, and yet A&M was picking apart defensive linemen and bringing them in their class like, you know, certain schools bring in wide receivers. Alabama bringing in wide receivers in 2017's class. And I think if you look at what A&M did, that was 100% to get them into the playoff. They've had skill position players in the years past, but where they haven't been able to overcome the Alabama and Georgias enough to get into the playoffs. Now, granted, they did beat Alabama this year, but what's kept them from making it to the college football playoff has been on the offensive line and on the defensive line. And it seemed like that was a concerted effort by Jimbo Fisher this year, that the trenches are what's going to put them over the top. And not only did it put it over the top, it put them at the top of the recruiting rankings. Terrific class for the Aggies, and and you know th- during the signing day special over at CBS Sports HQ, our colleague Josh Pate had a really good interview with Jimbo Fisher. So if our listeners are, are curious about what he had to say about this recruiting cycle and this class specifically, I advise you to go and, and check that out as well. Jimbo definitely had seventy two ounces of caffeine listening to that interview. <laughs> he did. He did it. I thought he was super engaged, right? Like I, I feel like some of those availabilities sometimes, especially uh, on a day where uh, you know you you might have not slept much, you've been on the phones, you know, for thirty six hours or so, trying to hammer down the final details of a certain class. Uh, I, I thought he was super engaged and realized that uh, recruiting is is just so different now in, in modern age, and you need the guy at the head of the table to have the the charisma that I think we saw at a Jimbo Fisher. Absolutely. And I think that that's why they've had so much success recruiting wise because what he's selling you, he believes. There's a lot of college football coaches out there and we don't need to discuss them. I think people know that sometimes what they say doesn't always translate into what we think it's going to be. But I think with, with Jimbo Fisher, you can see why he's had the success recruiting wise at Texas A&M, just like he did at Florida State. And there's a reason that players, he has that buy-in. It's not just kids from Texas that are buying into Jimbo Fisher. It's not just kids from Florida. It's kid, He went up to Pennsylvania to get an I White. He went to Arizona to get Anthony Lucas. He went up to Washington to get Mark Nabu. And a kid, he got two players from Washington. So Jimbo Fisher is showing that he too is a national brand. And I think that's important because if parents are going to have their kids leave the region and leave the footprint, you want it to be with a coach that 
you as a parent feel comfortable sending your kid to. And I think Jimbo Fisher, just that interview really showed the kind of personality that he has and why so many families are warm to him. Yeah, and let's not forget, he has who we call the number one quarterback in the con- country, Connor Wigman, coming in as well in the 2022 class. So AM right now at the top of the rankings as we head in towards the end of this early signing period. Uh, and from those schools that are vying for college football playoff spots, the AMs, the Bamas, the Georgias, two of those obviously already in the top four in this cycle, to a, a team that's been there so many years and has been a staple atop the college football ranking but right now seems to be struggling a bit. They, they do seem wounded, and that would be Clemson losing their two coordinators. Uh, Dabo Sweeney, you know, kind of taking some heat for, you know, his approach to recruiting and the, and the transfer portal and maybe not adjusting to the modern times. And unfortunately for the Tigers, they fall under our losers category. Well, it's not just that they lost their coordinators to head coaching jobs. Brent Venables leading the coordinator spot. For Oklahoma, Tony Elliott leaving the offensive coordinator spot for Virginia. It's that we're not used to seeing Clemson lose recruits. And they lost three of them in the span of a couple of days with the three IMG players that they lost. Now, Clemson is already one of the most deliberate programs when it comes to offers. They don't throw out a ton of offers. They don't make a lot of offers to schools. So they make that offer meaningful. The problem is when you don't have a lot of offers go out, it's hard to backtrack And then go try to offer a kid late when you didn't show that kid much attention in the first place. And now you have three spots open up and you need to fill. And so maybe for the first time on the field since 2014, Clemson had some struggles on Saturdays. But now off the field, recruiting-wise, coaching stability-wise, a little bit more. This is going to be a true test of Dabo Swinney and if that culture that he's built can withstand a little bit of a topsy-turvy four- or five-month span that he's been dealing with. Huff, remember there was a big game in mid-September at the Big House? It, it was a primetime showdown. Uh, I remember the stands were filled with maize, the color maize. And it was. It turned out to be kind of a beatdown. But heading into that game, we always realized, okay, this, this is going to, to tilt one way or the other for both of these programs, right? Like it, it was a defining moment for both of these teams. And I'm talking about the Michigan-Washington game. And Michigan is in the playoff and they were a winner on day one of the early signing period. Washington was on the losing end, have a new head coach, and they were one of the losers of, of this first day of the signing period. Yeah, I think with Michigan, you look at the class that they had, and you know, to be able to, speaking of Clemson, losing a player, Keon Sapp commits to Michigan, they get Darius Clemens, uh, they get Derek Moore from Oklahoma, but then Washington signed five players today. It wasn't but two years ago that Washington had a top three class in the Pac-12. They had a stretch the last few years of Chris Peterson and the first class that Jimmy Lake signed, which was a big tip of the hat to Chris Peterson's class himself. They were a top three school in the Pac-12 each and every year. This year, they signed five players on the early signing period's first day, they are 12th in the Pac-12. At one point today, you had Washington and USC. There was a graphic on the, uh, I'm sorry, on Wednesday, there was a graphic on the signing day show that it showed the top 10 classes in the Pac-12 and Washington and USC were both missing from said graphic. Washington did not get much momentum positively other than they got a big sky transfer as a grad transfer to come in, but they only signed five players on Wednesday. Now, maybe they're going to ramp things up and get a little bit more success in February, but there's not a lot of guys out there. They are still in the mix for Josh Connolly, the number one offensive tackle in the country out of Rainier Beach High School in Seattle. Vega Yone, who has been committed to them for some time, decommitted on Sunday, and now is going to go through the process, take some officials in January. So, you know, 
not only did they lose that game to Michigan, they saw their coach lose his head and then lose his job in the middle of the season. And then they ended up on the losing side of signing day. Whereas Michigan that day in September was a good foreteller of the season. Sure. They lost to Michigan state on the road in very close fashion, heartbreaking fashion, but they got the wins that they needed. The one over Ohio state to win and put them in the big 10 championship game. And then the win over Iowa to put them in the college football playoff. So the fall has been Jim Harbaugh's. I mean, we've talked about Luke fickle and his success this season on the field, but the best combination of, of, season results and recruiting, obviously outside of Nick Saban and and Kirby Smart, who have had success in recent years, Jim Harbaugh was under a hot seat. And to get the extension this year, but with some stipulations, he responded in very big fashion to not only win the Big Ten, to go to the college football playoff, but to have a heck of a recruiting class on Wednesday. Yeah, Michigan a winner and Washington a loser. And that was obviously the result on the field as well. A couple other losers, Nebraska and Virginia. Nebraska, obviously, with the uncertainty surrounding Scott Frost and and a few uh, failed flips for the Huskers made for a losing effort on signing day. And and then Virginia, I I think a little bit too late for them and losing some commits after the departure of Bronco Mendenhall. And and that was an unexpected departure as well. So I think that left that staff scrambling and, and they'll have to kind of regroup heading into the 2023 cycle. Let's close it out with a couple other winners, Huff, before we go and and, and let you get back into, you know, maybe your your beverage of choice for tonight. Maybe, and I'm not even talking about coffee. Let's talk Texas and Florida. Texas, not only did they get a five-star quarterback, Quinn Ewers, but they had a a couple of flips and and it seemed like they were cleaning up along the offensive line. And, And then Florida, with ba- Billy Napier there kind of running running things and, and pulling the strings, um, you know, seems to have actually put in the effort to, to land some big prospects. Now, listen, I'm not saying Texas back, but I'm also not not saying Texas back. Don't say it. Don't don't say it. I'm not saying it. I'm not not saying it, but I'm not saying it. But we talked about the difference between Texas A&M's classes in Alabama and Georgia and how there was an emphasis placed in the trenches. That's where Texas really seemed to focus their efforts was in the trenches. Their offensive line class was spectacular. It started with getting Calvin Banks at the beginning of the week. Then they got Cameron Williams, both former Oregon commits. Then they got Malik Ogbo on signing day. They were able to add in, you know, Neto Umuzelo to start the week. Then they were able to flip a pair of Big Ten guys and Terrence Brooks from Ohio State, Ethan Burke from Michigan. And then most importantly, they were able to not flip a guy, but to get a transfer who was the number one player in the country in 2022, reclassify where he became the number one player in 2020, or 2021, didn't play much during the 2021 season, and now comes back to Texas to his native Lone Star State and will play for Steve Sarkeesian. But then most importantly, then they were able to hold on to Malik Murphy, their California quarterback that was committed in this class, despite years transferring there. So it's been a good week for Steve Sarkeesian after a seven-loss season for seven-win Sark. Yeah, I mean, here's the here's the date that I'll kind of keep in mind for 2022, and that would be September 10th. They they play Alabama, and maybe we can hold off on saying Texas is back until then. Huff, so that that'll be a fun one for us to. To, to really dissect as we head into uh, next season. But, you know, it's it's never the offseason for us here at 24-7 Sports. We're going to continue to follow every every new development in the 2022 class. Uh, the signing period 
runs through the end of Friday. And then there's a, a few weeks before prospects are again able to hit the road, those that did not sign, those, those that did not commit. Uh, and then there's a traditional signing day on the first Wednesday of February. Huff, enjoy that adult beverage. I will also be having one as well. And uh, can't wait to catch up with you again, my friend. Sounds good, Blair. Looking forward to it. And at bottoms up, salute. All right, that is Brandon Huffman. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Huffman. That'll do it for us here on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast.